And so if you would, take your Bible right now and turn to Revelation chapter 1. This is the part about the joke about you go to the maps at the end and then you turn left and there's going to be revelations at the very end. And so if you have access to the Bible on your phone or your tablet, feel free to, to bring that out. If you don't have a copy of the Bible in front of you, the, the words are going to be on the, on the screen as well. And I've, I've asked a group of uh, folks here at Emmaus to help us begin this series by reading uh, Revelation 1 for us. So they're going to get us started by reading Revelation chapter 1. All right, go for it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the world, the word of God, and his testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud this, the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Praise to his God and Father, to him and be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance utter in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those are, the, those are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." 
Thank you all very much. All right, as we begin this study of the book of Revelation, one of the things we ask is why? Why would you study this book? What, what's the purpose? Now let me be upfront with you about something. I'm not gonna answer every question that you have about the book of Revelation. I can promise you that right now. In fact, hopefully what we'll do is we'll end up raising more questions. We'll, we'll force ourselves to think about scripture and to engage with this section of scripture maybe in a way that we haven't done before, why, why address this? A couple of reasons. Last week was Easter. If we're not careful in the way that we do life and the way that we do church, we'll take an approach that says, okay, that's over, now what's next? But God doesn't work in that way. The way that the church calendar and the way that he has worked throughout his people is that we celebrate something like Easter and then we enter into a season called Eastertide that carries us up to the time of Pentecost where we continue to remember the resurrection. We continue to think about what does it look like to live in the power of Jesus Christ. And as we address a book like Revelation, it's going to take us right into the heart of that. And on top of that, it matters how you interpret these things. In the early part of the 16th century, there was a German minister named Thomas Munster. Munster was a part of what was called the Reformation. Now, during this time in church history, you have the Catholic Church that is set up as the predominant ruling power of churches, and you have something called the Reformation that is happening as people are trying to bring religion and bring the Bible and to the people, and there's this rebellion, this Reformation that's happening, and there was a couple of guys involved in that named Calvin and Luther but there were also several other people involved in the Reformation. And one of those was a man named Tomas Munster. And what Munster was doing is he felt like Luther was giving in to the people that had money. He was giving in to a few of the power people. And Munster, he was on the side of the poor. He was coming along the peasants and he was leading this peasant revolt. Interesting thing about Munster is many years later, Karl Marx would actually pick up on some of Munster's writings. But Munster was leading this peasant revolt against the larger ruling bodies, against the feudal system, against the Catholic Church. And one of the ways he did that is he told the people that he had read Scripture, specifically Daniel and Revelation, and all the signs in Scripture were pointing to the fact that Jesus was about to return. And if they would gather together as an army, God would come and help them defeat all the armies around them, help them defeat all these feudal lords, help them defeat all the people that were opposed to them, all the ruling rich class. So Munster gathers together this poor peasant army, and they go to a place called Frankenhausen, and they set up shop, and he tells them, take up arms, God is going to be on our side. You know what happened to that peasant revolt? Within a few hours, 6,000 of them were dead. Guess what question they had to ask themselves? Why did God not show up on our side? If this was the time for Jesus to come back, and our leader said God was going to come and he was going to take our side, and this is what the book of Revelation says, then why did God not show up? If we approach this book 
incorrectly or from the wrong angle, sometimes we'll find ourselves saying, why did God not show up? Why did God not act in the way that he was supposed to? He was supposed to do X because I read this and that didn't happen. What I want us to do this morning is to approach the book of Revelation, to lay a foundation so that we can understand what this book is about, and then that would drive all of our questions. That would drive our reading. That would drive our response to God's word at the end of the service. So if you will take your bulletin that you got and turn it over on the back, it's going to have some notes that will guide us through our time this morning. The first is we want to understand what does it mean for Revelation to be good news. We're going to use the word gospel a couple of times this morning. Gospel is just a fancy word that means good news. How is Revelation good news? So we begin by saying, what is this? Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Number one, revelation is singular, not plural. Thank you for coming. Have a good day. Just kidding. Actually, we could stop right there, and that answers most of our questions about revelation. I wanted to take the mic and drop the mic because that is a drop the mic moment right there, all right? I will probably mess up in this over the next couple of weeks. You'll mess up, but let's make a commitment together that we will not call this book Revelations. Take the S off the end. It's not there. It's not a book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. I'm serious. If you get that right, that solves most of our questions and most of our misunderstandings about what is going on here. It's singular. It's a singular revelation. Now granted, there's, there's parts going on here. We see that working in verse one where it says things, the things that are going to take place. That's plural. But it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that word of up on the screen is underlined for a very particular reason. And, and hear me out on this so we don't misunderstand each other, but but the word of is not technically in the original language. Of is a word we use in English to make sense of the way that these two words are put together. There's really just two words there. Revelation, Jesus. That word of is put in there so we can understand how those two words go together. It's a revelation of Jesus. Now here's where it gets tricky. If I say the phrase, revelation of, in- of Jesus, It can mean two things. It can mean the revelation given by Jesus, so it's a revelation that Jesus gave, or revelation of Jesus can mean the revelation showing us who Jesus is, the revelation of Jesus as the object of that revelation. So which one is it? Did Jesus give the revelation, or did the revelation show us who Jesus is? Yes, that's that's how it works. There's a way that this works that both are true. It is true that this scripture that we have, this book of Revelation, it's very clear in verse one here, it says, the revelation which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. It's a revelation from Jesus. It has a divine source. He's the one giving us this information. But equally so, equally so, all of scripture, and I would even say especially the book of Revelation, is about Jesus. It shows us who Jesus is. 
The main point of Revelation is not to point to a series of events that would unfold in the future. The main point of Revelation is that we would know and worship Jesus. We would know who he is, what he does, what he says, how he rules over his people, and that our focus in this book would be driven to who Jesus is. When it says that God gave him, this is a picture that you see especially in the Gospel of John. Now here's something interesting. The book of Revelation, there in the next verse, we're not going to go to it right now, but it will say that this book of Revelation was written by a man named John. There are four other books in the New Testament portion of your Bible that were written by a man named John. The fourth book of the New Testament, and if you're not familiar with your Bible, we want this to be a safe place for you to come. If I say something and you say, I don't think I understood what he said, come and ask me. We want anybody to be able to, to be involved in Bible study. And so one of the things I would say about your Bible is remember that the first two-thirds of it is called the Old Testament, and then that final one-third is called the New Testament. In the New Testament, book number four is written about the Gospel of John. So a man named John tells us about Jesus. Then you go toward the end of the New Testament, and there are three letters by John. First, second, third John. Then you get to Revelation. It also was written by John. There's a little bit of controversy, debate, about was the book of Revelation written by the same John who wrote those other four books. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I simply don't know. The language, the way that it was written, the book of Revelation, does not sound like the other books. It doesn't sound the way he wrote. If you receive a letter or an email from your spouse and it doesn't sound like them, you're like, my husband does not know that word. He would not have put that word in there. You're, you think, that didn't sound like them. The book of Revelation is like that. You're like, that doesn't sound like John, but a lot of the themes, a lot of the concepts in there are very much what John uses in his gospel. Let me give you an example of this. When it says in the book of Revelation, chapter one, verse one, that God gave him, that language is all over the gospel of John. John chapter eight, verses 28 through 30. Yeah, these are gonna be up on the screen as well. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's, gonna, he's previewing for them his death on the cross. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I am really the Son of God. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. In the gospel, what you get are Jesus' words, Jesus' actions, Jesus' identity, and it's God giving him that so that people would then believe upon Jesus. We learn about Jesus so that we will believe in Jesus. That is exactly why we have the book of Revelation. So that we would know about Jesus, so that we would be in awe of Jesus, and so that we would believe on him. The book of Revelation is the gospel remixed and climaxed. That's what the book of Revelation does. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he does, why it matters. It's that information remixed. You know what a musical remix is? It's where you take a song 
And then the children of the people who wrote those songs come along and they remix them. They change around elements of the melody. Sometimes they shift words around in different places. You take that song and your parents say, but that's not Amazing Grace. I sing Amazing Grace out of the hymnal and you guys are singing Amazing Grace and that's not Amazing Grace. Well, is it Amazing Grace? Yes, it still gets across the same message. It sounds different. It feels different. Things are in a different place in a few locations, but it's still Amazing Grace. Revelation is exactly like that. It's the gospel remix. You say, but that doesn't sound like the four books that begin the New Testament. Well, of course it's not. It's written in a different form, like we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but it's the same concept. It's the good news of Jesus remixed and then brought to a climax. Everything we know about the Gospels, everything we know about who Jesus is and what he did and what he says is brought to this perfect climax, this perfect completion in the book of Revelation. Who's it given to? So we're going to go to the next part on our notes. Who's it given to? When was it written? What's it, what timeline are we talking about? Where was it written to? Okay, back to verse 1 really quickly. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. It was written to servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Notice that word servant in verse 2 shows up, or actually at the end of verse 1, shows up again there, servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then you skip down to verse 4. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Who was this written to? It was written to persecuted Christians living in the first century A.D., probably toward the end of that first century. It depends on who you ask, but either late 60s or maybe up around the year 90, depending on how we date it. It's written to that first century in a group of churches that are located in the western part of Turkey. They didn't call it Turkey at the time. They called it Asia or Asia Minor. But if you looked at a modern-day map like we're going to look at next week when we study this passage again, it's located in the western part of modern-day Turkey. It was written to that audience. When we read the book of Revelation, let me beg us to remember that it was written to that audience. I'm going to say something about the Bible. I need us to agree on this. I know that's kind of a weird way to say it, but I need us to agree on this, and then I'll explain why. The Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. Okay? So here's a distinction. The Bible... As it exists, as we have it, as these documents that have been given to us by God in all fullness and all truth, they weren't written to us. We were not the original audience of these documents, but they were absolutely written for us. The word of God remains eternally true. It remains eternally relevant, but in order to understand it, in order to make sense of it, we need to remember that we were not the original recipients of it. These folks living in the western part of Asia Minor, living under Roman persecution, facing all of this hardship, that's the people that received this letter, this document initially. And so what we want to do, and here's what we do when we read the Bible, we want to hear it as they would have heard it, the best that we can. And so it's addressed to them. The problem that we face with the book of Revelation 
is we want to push all of it out into the future. We want to say that it's about a series of events that are going to happen in the future. And there are definitely elements of Revelation that are related to that. But if we're not careful, when we push Revelation into the future, what we've done is we've taken it away from the original audience that it was written to. And worse yet, when we push it completely into the future, it's our way of saying it really doesn't apply to us. Or it really didn't make sense to the original audience because they weren't living at a time that those events, those final events were going to happen. What I want us to say together is that the book of Revelation was written in the first century to a particular group of churches facing a particular group of obstacles. And if we'll understand that, the rest of the book will begin to fall into place. Now, there's something else we have to talk about about when it was written. Because what it was written for were people living in the last days. The last days, according to Scripture, have existed from the time of Jesus' resurrection, when he returned to be with the Father, to reign eternally, until the second coming. So hear me out on that. It's a major point of debate in our world today, in churches, in newspapers, in grocery stand magazines that you would find. Everybody wants to know, are we living in the last days? Yes. And so was someone living in 60 AD. They lived in the last days as well. As did someone in 300 AD, as did someone in 1000 AD, as did Thomas Munster in 1525 AD, as do we in 2016. The last days, according to Scripture, is the time from Jesus' resurrection to his second coming. And so, yes, is Revelation written to the people living in the last days? Yes. But Christians have always been living in the last days. You say, that sounds weird. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says this. It says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. When is the book of Hebrews written? It's written in the second half of the first century AD. The author then felt very much that he was living in the last days. Why was he written in the, living in the last days? Because God had given his son, the Messiah, to show the world his victory and his hope, and who God was, and what God was doing. So, when we say that the book of Revelation was written to these churches, it was written to a group of people who found themselves living in the last days, and we do too. Now, are we living more in the last days than a group of people in the first century? Well, that kind of gets into a weird situation. Tomorrow, we'll be closer to the end than we were today. Today, we're closer to the end than we were yesterday. But if we get into that discussion, that misses the point of what's happening in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is addressed to people living in the last days. How was it given? This moves on in your notes to the next section. How was it given to us as good news? Now, in the Bible, we have different types of literature. There's prophecy, there's history, there's gospel, there's letters. One of the things that makes the book of Revelation unique is that it's this combination, this hybrid form of three different genres. It's the, it's the mutt 
of the New Testament. It's this weird hybrid combination of different ways of, of writing. And it's given to us as a letter, as a prophecy, and as an apocalypse. And we're going to talk about those in, in order. First is given to us as a letter. Look in verse 4. In verse 4, which we saw earlier, it says, John, and we're going to take that as the author of this, this document, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Chapters 2 and 3 then give us these very specific letters that were written to these churches. But here's what's interesting, and I don't think I'd ever paid attention to this until I was looking at it this week. Revelation 22, verse 7, that we're not going to look at, or verse 22. Wow, that was a terrible combination of numbers. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, uh, at the end of the book, also ends this document like a letter. It's John's way of saying you need to receive this as a letter. What we know about letters is they were written to particular situations. It was given to a group of people to be received as a letter that applied to their situation. It wasn't for an elite audience, and make sure we understand this, it wasn't mainly for a future audience. It's not like the people who received the book of Revelation thought, man, it's too bad these events aren't going to unfold until the 21st century. I guess we'll just pass this along and it will apply to somebody else. They didn't receive it like that. They received it as this is God's word to us and we need to pay attention to it. We are, we are servants receiving this word, not speculating about the future. We're receiving this as servants. The other thing we know about letters, and this is especially true of letters in the Bible and letters in the ancient world, is that letters are to be read as a whole. In order to understand a part of a letter, you need to receive it as a whole. The people who first received the book of Revelation, they would have heard it read in worship all at one time. Now, these brave souls at the beginning of the sermon this morning who stood up here, they read the first chapter. Revelation has 22 chapters. Can you imagine showing up at church and oh, how I wanted to do this, but I love my job, and so I didn't do it. Can you imagine showing up, and the worship service is you're going to hear the book of Revelation read to you. This is God's word to us. Now remember, the people at this time, most of them were not literate. Most of them could not go home and read the document. The way they received God's word is when they came to church and someone read to them, but they would have received it all at one time. The point is, when we go in and pick one verse out and say, wow, that's a really important verse, I bet it means X. If you take that verse and you take it out of the big picture of what's happening in Revelation, you're probably gonna destroy that verse. It's meant to be read in the big picture of what God is telling them. What's God telling them? Not revelations, he's telling them the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's given as a letter. Second, it's given as a prophecy. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud. This is what we were referring to earlier as they would read aloud in church. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. John is very clear that he's giving them a prophecy. In my mind, when I hear the word prophecy, because I've walked through the checkout line at too many grocery stores, when I hear the word prophecy, I immediately think of something that foretells or predicts a future event. 
That's part of prophecy, but that is actually a very small part of prophecy. When you look at prophecy in the Bible and you look at prophecy throughout the ancient world, prophecy is speaking into a situation, not speaking beyond a situation. When we think of prophecy, we think of somebody predicting the future. Most of the prophets, their job was to speak God's word into a situation. To say, I may give you some future information, but the purpose of that future information is that you would have to hear God's word right here, right now, and make a decision based on it. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, might be the clearest explanation of how we should respond to prophecy. Now, Joshua is not a book primarily about prophecy, but it sets the stage for the prophets. Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you need a verse to kind of pull out and make sense of how Revelation is a book of prophecy, Joshua 24, 15 is your verse. It's your friend. The book of Revelation was written to a group of people saying, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's given to them to speak into their situation, not just to speak beyond their situation. Third, okay, so it's a letter, it's a prophecy, and now we get to the fun one. It's a revelation. Go back to verse one just for a second. The revelation of Jesus Christ is how this begins. That word revelation, if you go back to the, the original Greek, it's the word for apocalypsis. Doesn't take much work to hear the word apocalyptic in that word. The word revelation is where we get our contemporary word apocalyptic or apocalypse. How many of you have seen one of the apocalypse movies or TV shows that have come out recently? Anybody seen an apocalypse? Some of them are very, very bad. Not bad morality, they're just horrible uh, movies or TV shows, but, but they're popular. Some of them are, are better than others. In our culture, when you hear apocalypse or you hear apocalyptic, everybody thinks about the destruction of the world, end days, final events. The word apocalypse just means the revealing of something, the unveiling of something. So if I was up here and I had a table with an object on it and that object was covered with a sheet and I removed that sheet, I just did an apocalypse, a revealing an unveiling. That's all that that word means. It's used several places in the New Testament, but it's, it's giving something, it's making something seen that you wouldn't have been able to see on your own. So apocalypse, apocalyptic literature was pretty common in the ancient world. Here's how it worked. A divine being, so we're going outside the Bible at this point, but, but I want you to see how common this was in the ancient world. Here's how it would work. A divine being would send a message through some sort of spiritual agent, usually an angel. That angel would speak that divine word to a group of people who were a minority or who were oppressed in some way, facing some sort of difficulty. And oftentimes that divine word would be cloaked in symbolism or it would be given in strange language so that that group would be able to find comfort and encouragement. And that divine message would almost always say, what you're facing now is not the end of the story. It would be a word of encouragement. So what do you get in the book of Revelation? 
You get a divine being, the one true God, who gives his message through an angel to one of his servants, John, to be given to a minority group that was facing persecution and facing oppression and and being forced to almost give up their faith. And it's given to them in symbolism. It's given into this strange language for the purpose that they would stand strong, that they would not give up the faith. The best way I know to explain Revelation is by two things that make sense to us. Number one is theater. It's, it's given as a theatrical play where you have to see the whole thing to make sense of. And also rap music. Alright? So, now I don't know how much you know about the history of rap. And this would be a good time if I could break into a Jimmy Fallon, Justin Timberlake impression. I would love to do that for you right now. But we're not going to do that at this point. The history of rap. Actually, we actually have some rappers on staff at Emmaus, believe it or not. I want you to see this. We have a rapper on staff at Emmaus. (laughs) Who knew that Jim Liu was a rapper? So Jim actually sent me a rap that he texted me this week, but I'm I'm not gonna rap that to you. We actually have some other rappers on, on staff. There's Flavor Jimmy J. Fierce. That's the guy you saw in the last, uh, the last picture is Flavor Jimmy J. Fierce. So we have some other rappers. Teflon O&O, that's what I was given. So every, every pastor needs skin like Teflon where it just fall, you know, falls off you. Uh, Papa Doom Davey H., he's not here to, uh, to defend himself. David's out this morning, but be sure when he comes back, he knows that he's Papa Doom Davy H, all right? All right? It gets better. Empress Annie D. Ann Darling doing our, uh, our books and accounting is forever. Imp- and then hold tight, all right? Hold on to your seats for the last one. Shady Opal Ohudi Kiss, all right? Now, Miss Opal... Dignified and amazing as she is, when her name is typed into a not-to-be-mentioned website that gives you rapper names, she comes out as Shady Opal O Hootie Kiss, which might be one of my favorite moments in the history of church ministry. So uh, I just want you to know that rap music is completely relevant to what we're doing. So when a dignified older lady is called Shady from here on out, don't blame the pastor that 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 happened. Revelation, though, is written as rap music. Here's why it's rap music. You say, why, why would you explain it that way? The history of rap, some of the early, early rap, came out of a context in which a minority group of people, and not just racial minority, but, but a minority group of people were trying to find a way to speak out against power, a way to make their voice known. And they would use anti-institutional, insider language that only made sense to the group that was producing the music one because it made the institutional people the power people angry and two because it was their way of getting across their message in a way that their group would understand that's exactly what John is doing that's exactly what we're finding in the book of Revelation is this is insider anti-institutional language that's being given to a minority group an oppressed group to say hang in there 
God is at work. He has a message for you that you can understand. They didn't have to wait for the 21st century for this language to make sense. It made perfect sense to them. And why was it given to them? And we're back to our notes at this point and and past the wrappers. The reason it was given to them was to sustain the people in the midst of hardships and persecution. Okay, watch how this works, because this is amazing the way the book of Revelation makes this happen. You're living in a situation in which you're persecuted for your faith, you're suffering, you seem to be losing to the government and the world around you, and all you see is defeat. All you see is hardship. All you see is, I'm not going to make it to tomorrow. And then an apocalypse happens. An unveiling happens. And you're able to see that God is actually victorious and that God is actually at work and that God has brought all of his promises to bear through Jesus Christ. And what do you get when you have that revealed to you that you can never see with your eyes physically, but you can see with your spiritual eyes? What you get is hope. Revelation is a way for an oppressed group of people to be able to see beyond their circumstances with eyes of faith to know that God is victorious, that he is going to work in their situation. And what it tells those people is it tells them don't quit and don't give in. Don't give up, don't give in. You might be persecuted, you might be oppressed, but stay the course, keep the faith. Don't give up your faith, don't turn and follow the ways of the world, Follow after me. Remember when Peter in that story is walking on water, following after Jesus? When does he sink in the water? When he takes his eyes off Jesus. The book of Revelation is God's way that we would be able to put our eyes on Jesus in the midst of difficult, dire circumstances. It's a book that leads us to live by faith and to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what the book of Revelation, that's why it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate good news. All right, look in your notes. It's the ultimate good news. Number one, it's the good news of Jesus' victory. Verse five, which we're gonna get to in, in in just a couple of weeks, Revelation chapter one, verse five. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation is good news because it calls us to saving faith. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced what it is to know victory to know life, to know salvation in Jesus. If you say, I've never really been curious about the book of Revelation, I've sure never known what it was about, the book of Revelation is God's word to you saying that I love you and I have given my life so that you would be free of your sins, so that you would be set free of the power of death, so that you would have life. The book of Revelation is one of the greatest calls in all of scripture to salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I don't know everybody's situation in here. I don't know what background you come from, but Revelation is God's good news to you that he has made a way of life and victory 
and salvation. And the greatest thing that you can do is to put your faith in him, to experience that life, to experience that salvation. And when you experience that life and you experience the salvation, the next part of the good news is that it's the good news of Jesus' message and work. Go back to verse two just for a second. In verse two, it says that one of the things that happened when the revelation came is that they bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. The words and actions, the words and deeds of Jesus are seen in the book of Revelation, seen all throughout scripture. And what the book does is it was spoken to a group of people that were about to give up living out their faith because they were living in an anti-Jesus world. And the book of Revelation says, don't stop. Live out your faith. Speak about Jesus and show Jesus in the midst of an anti-Jesus world. One of the ways that we try to say it here is proclaim and display Jesus. Speak about Jesus and show Jesus. If we read the Revel- book of Revelation correctly, it will drive us to live out our faith. And we're really gonna dig into that in a couple of weeks. Number three, it's the good news of Jesus' blessings. Verse three, chapter one, verse three. Notice the word there. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. A few months ago, we read the book of Psalms. We studied the book of Psalms together. Psalm 1 begins, blessed. Jesus preached a famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. That sermon begins, blessed. The book of Revelation, seven times, calls blessed the people who receive and keep this word. Not surprisingly, the number seven is very symbolic in the book of Revelation, but you get seven indications of blessing. The book of Revelation is not to drive us to fear, not to drive us to speculation, not to drive us to worry. It's to drive us to live a life of joy, to live a life of blessing that God has set before us. When we experience eternal life, when you trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that eternal life doesn't wait to begin. It begins now. All of the goodness of God at work in our life begins now. And so our opportunity is to say, yes, I trust you. Yes, I will live for you. And thank you for the life that you've given me through Jesus. What I want us to do this morning as a church is on the basis of that, on the basis of the revelation of Jesus, I want us to respond in worship, musical worship, in prayer, Maybe you just need to sit there and just have some time of silence before the week continues on. We're gonna sing three songs together over the next few minutes. I would encourage you to stand and to sing with all your heart. Equally, I would encourage you to use this as a time as a time of prayer. Those of you that are in the stadium seating, just below you as you come down to the landing area, there are gonna be people there to pray with you. Up here at the front, we're gonna have people here to pray with you. Don't waste this time. Use this as a time of saying, God, I want to respond to your word. I want to worship you. I want to give my life to you. We're not gonna go home right now. We're gonna continue in worship. And however God leads you during this time, I would ask that you just respond to that. Use this as a time of singing, a time of prayer, a time of reflection. Let me pray for us as we get ready to transition into this time. Father, I know that We're doing church service a little differently this morning. It works well because the book of Revelation is a little different. But equally so, God, 
It's just the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus that some of us heard as kids, some responded to as adults, some are thinking about in a fresh way this morning. God, the book of Revelation is this unveiling of your glory and your victory and your goodness seen through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would be a group of people who respond in worship, who respond in faith, who respond in obedience, that little kids this morning would be driven to prayer, be driven to singing, that older adults would spend time praying for those around them, singing these psalms. God, that we would be your people gathered together to worship you because of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.